Praise the Lord. I'm a couple minutes late, that's okay. It is good to be in God's house this morning though, amen? Amen, amen. And what a great atmosphere we had in our prayer service just before this time, amen. And uh, it's good to have everyone here for prayer. It's good to spend time together in prayer as a family. Something the Bible tells us to do, amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue this morning with um, the Life Class series that we've been working our way through for the last four weeks. This is the fourth week um, and our last lesson in the series that we've been talking about. We've been talking about being a living sacrifice, amen? Turn to the person next to you, say a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. In the first week, we spoke about how Jesus was our Passover lamb, amen, and how he was our sacrifice. He paid the price for our sins, Amen. And in the, the second week, we talked about how not only did He set us free from sin, but He gave us the power to live a life that overcomes sin. We no longer have to be bound by the chains of sin. You know, whatever problems you've got in regards to sin, whatever your sin is, amen, you don't have to be surrendered to that. You can live a life by the Spirit victorious over the power of sin. And that's something we only have through the benefit of Jesus' sacrifice for us, amen. And then last week, if I take a quick look at my notes here, last week we spoke about it being our reasonable service because Jesus gave his life for us. We spoke about how it is completely logical and rational that we would also give our life for him. There should be nothing in our hearts that we withhold from God because it's too important to us. Amen. But God deserves every part of our life, every aspect of our life, everywhere we Everything we do, everything we say, everywhere we go, everything belongs to Jesus. Amen. And we do that with joy. It's not a drudgery. It's not a, oh my goodness, I've got to serve the Lord. What a horrible life I live. No, it is a joy. Why? Because we take the same attitude as Jesus. Bible tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Amen. Jesus looked through his cross and saw us and said, I am willing to pay that price to be able to be in relationship with my people. Amen. We do the same thing in reverse. We look through the cross that Jesus commands us to carry, and we look through and see Jesus. And we see the sacrifice that he made for us, and the cross becomes not even a price that's even considered anything expensive. It is our greatest joy and our greatest privilege as disciples of Jesus to pick up the cross and to follow our Lord and our Savior. Amen. And so we're going to continue on this morning. If you've got your Bibles... Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Praise the Lord. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Very familiar passage of Scripture here, one that I'm sure we know. John chapter 3, and we're just going to read verse 30. Words of John the Baptist. John chapter 3 and verse 30, the Bible says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. And I want you to kind of picture this in your mind. Some of John the Baptist's followers had heard the news that there was this rabbi who was attracting more people than John the Baptist. They had heard the news that there was somebody who was having more people follow after him 
than was following after their beloved John the Baptist. And so they went to John because they didn't like this. They loved John. They liked John. They wanted to see John succeed in his ministry. So they went to John and they said, Rabbi, there is somebody else who is attracting more people than you. And he was the one that you testified about. You said that he was the Lamb of God. And he's baptizing, just like you're baptizing, but everybody is now going to him, and they're not coming to you. And I imagine that the reaction that John gave was a bit of a surprise to the disciples. What they expected him to say was, oh my goodness, that's no good. Quick, we better come up with another program to attract some more people in. We'd better do a social media campaign and make sure some more people are hearing my message rather than the message of Jesus. No, that's not what John said. John was thrilled with the news that more people were following Jesus than were following him because John knew that this was precisely what was supposed to happen. Amen? John never doubted his calling. He never misunderstood what his message was to be. The Bible tells us that he came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, and that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of the light. The light was Jesus Christ, amen. John made it clear in John 1 and verse 20 that he was not the Messiah. He had only come as a forerunner to herald the Christ's coming and to prepare people to receive him, amen. Now, as the forerunner, John knew that it was important, much more important than what he was, and that he had, that Jesus had the place of preeminence. And so John's preaching took that, tone. It took this theme of preeminence of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, apparently, some of his disciples didn't get that point. Because they were all upset that people were going away and following Jesus instead of following John. Amen. And so even though they'd heard that message, even though they'd heard John say, no, no, I'm, I'm just the forerunner. He's got to increase. I've got to decrease. You know, it, it, they saw that his ministry was being eclipsed. It was being superseded by Jesus, and they were disturbed. And this is not an unreasonable expectation, right? They revered John. They loved John. They followed John. And if you think about it in terms of the context of Old Testament history, right, for 400 years, the prophetic voice had been silent. And so much had happened in the nation of Israel. Alexander the Great had conquered. They'd been fought over by the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemy Empire. Right? Everything had been going on that had the revolt. The Maccabees had risen up. But all through this, God was silent. And then all of a sudden, after 400 years, John pops on the scene. The first prophet in a long time. And all he says is, there's someone else coming after me who's better than me. Right? But they loved John, amen, and they didn't quite understand what was going on, amen. And so now that more people were going to follow Jesus more than follow John, John understood that his mission was going to be fulfilled. He had done what God had asked him to do, and it was time for John to get the spotlight off of him so that it could go onto Jesus alone, amen. You know, John was satisfied in submitting to God. And to God's plan for his life. What John's disciples thought he should or should not do was not John's concern. 
all he was concerned about was doing precisely what God had called him to do. And when it became time for the focus to shift off of John and onto Jesus, he readily stood aside. He didn't cling to power. He didn't cling to position, amen. From the moment his ministry began until the day that he was executed in Herod's dungeon, he sought to lift Jesus up and to put Jesus first, amen. And of course, we are not called to fulfill the call that God has on our life exactly the same way that John did. But the attitude that John had, we have to have the same attitude in our life. We have to have that character in our life. Amen. He should increase. Jesus should increase while we decrease. We are called to focus less on ourselves and more on Jesus Christ. Amen. His influence on our life should be increasing every single day, while our influence on our life should be decreasing every day. We are to seek God's will for our life and to put Him first. Amen. What does it actually look like, though, when He is increasing and we are decreasing? Most fundamentally, it means that He is truly functioning as the Lord of our life. Amen. And, and if you think about it, the most basic Christian confession of faith is about Jesus and that He is Lord. Amen. And as a Lord is a ruler or a king, a master, a sovereign, he has the power and the ability to make the rules. Amen. Jesus is God in flesh. And as Lord, he is our savior and our king. And he does have absolute power and authority. Amen. He rules over heaven and earth. They belong to him. Amen. Heaven is his throne, the Bible says. Earth is his footstool. Amen. And he exercises that lordship in love. And many people live in rebellion to that. But as his followers, amen, we want to live in submission to him. But if Jesus truly is Lord of our life, then we ought to live like he is the Lord of our life. It ought to be our greatest desire to live like he is the Lord of our life, amen. You know, there is no value in confessing him to be something when we do not live like he actually is. God is not pleased just because we affirm something true about Him. Hello? You know, we, 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 many people kind of believe that there's something great about the fact that we acknowledge God as Lord. That's just a true fact. The Bible says that even the demons believe some theological truth about God. They acknowledge it as a fact, but it doesn't change who they are. Amen? We cannot just acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but then not change our life. Amen. Not seek to actually live that out in practice as we go. Amen. Jesus said there was people like this. There's going to be people that come before him. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many things in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not? And he's going to turn and say, I don't know you. You see, we've declared that he is Lord and that is true because it's a fact. Just like I can declare the sun is shining. Amen. It's a fact, but unless our lives are living that out in our daily life, then He's not really Lord of our life. Amen? Amen. You see, and, and the problem with this is when we continually declare it, eventually we can start to deceive ourselves into thinking that everything is right in our life. Even if there are areas in our life that we have not surrendered to God, that we have decided are too important for us. Amen? There are other things in our life that take priority. And yet we say, oh no, Jesus is Lord. 
But when God begins to peel away the layers, hello? We go, oh, thank God, don't go there. No, 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 you can't come in here. This is mine, don't touch. Amen? But then he's not really Lord either. See, our motivation for obeying Jesus is love. That's where our motivation comes from. The love that we have received from God in Christ should cause us to love Him first. Amen? 1 John 4.19 tells us that. We love Him because He first loved us. Amen? We received love from God. You know, loving Christ involves our affections for Him, of course, and it involves our praise and our worship as well. But our love for Him is not just simply saying nice things about Him, and it's not just feeling nice things and nice emotions, amen. It's deeper than that. You know, given, given the right circumstances in life, God blesses us with something, or we receive an answered prayer, you know, or God allows us to feel His Spirit in this real personal way that natural affection will begin to flow, amen? And it's very, very easy to say those nice things about Jesus when everything is going well in your life, amen? But not surprisingly, we don't read in the Bible of Jesus saying, if you love me, then feel a certain way about me or say nice things about me. Instead, what does he say? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, how you feel does not affect how you love God. What is important is are you obeying what God wants you to obey, amen? John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, right? In contrast to those who love him and obey him, Jesus says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. John 14, 24, right? Consistent obedience, apparently like nothing else, reveals the presence of genuine love. Only the heart that obeys God loves God. Only the heart that truly loves will then continue to obey. No matter what the feelings are, no matter when things are good or when things are bad, whenever things are going right at home and things are going wrong at home, it doesn't matter. I still obey God because I love Him, because He first loved me. Amen. It then gets taken away from just being this emotional high Right? And this is what happens. So many people come to church. Things are going great. I mean, it's a cycle, isn't it? People go through something horrible in life. It's a really tough time. Yeah, and they come back to God. And that's a great thing. Amen? And God begins to work on their hearts, and things begin to get better. Why? Because they're surrendering their life to God. But the danger is, is when things get better, we grow cold because everything's going good. And then we drift away again. And you end up with this cycle of, I'm in church, I'm in church, I'm in church. Oh, no, I'm leaving God because everything's going great. Oh, my goodness, my life is horrible. I better get back to God. Hello? Amen. But when you love God, you obey His commandments. Your feelings are irrelevant. When things are good, I love God. Because God tells me I've got to obey His commandments, so I'm going to obey Him. When things are bad, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to just keep obeying God. I'm going to keep loving God. Amen? It's important, again, to note the order of this love. We love Him because He first loved us. God's call to His people to love and obey Him always follow Him first acting in love towards us. Amen. As a matter of fact, when you read in the Old Testament, when God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, right? The Ten Commandments. 
don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. A lot of people focus on that and go, wow, sheesh, God is all about telling you what you don't do, amen? But you notice how it starts, amen? He first says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Before God ever gave commandments to the children of Israel to follow, He brought them out of slavery first. He brought them out of Egypt first, amen. Before God ever worries about you serving Him and obeying His commandments, He sets you free from sin. He sets you free from slavery. He brings you out of the darkness that you are in into His marvelous life. Amen. He is the one that extends to us grace first. And then it's our job to say, well, God, you've been so good to me. I'm going to obey you because I want you to be Lord of my life. Amen. The obedience of love should come naturally to those who have received God's love in Christ. And this is a love that we see most clearly on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Jesus loved us so much that he willingly sacrificed himself for us. He suffered indescribably for each of us. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that he tasted death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. He sacrificed all to save us because of love. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Because of this, we are called to exalt Jesus, to put Him first through our loving obedience and allow Him to increase as we decrease. And we need to remember that Jesus first humbled Himself in love. Jesus showed us the model, didn't He? He decreased in order to die, to free us from sin so that one day we might increase and be lifted up as we are caught to meet Him in the air when he returns, amen. Paul wrote, Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Are you getting it? Jesus is decreasing. Jesus is showing us you've got to decrease. You've got to be humbled first, amen. And he did that for us. And so we have to have the same attitude as well when we come to God, amen. Because of his humble obedience in dying for us, the Bible then goes on to say God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, amen. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen. Since he humbled himself and gave himself for all, how can we not give our all to him in response to the love that Jesus gave us we ought to bow our knee every day we need to confess him as Lord but not just confess it we have to live our life out like he is Lord amen as we live more for him we live more and more for him every day and less and less for us and as we do that, He accomplishes His purpose in us. Because that's what's important with this Christian life. We don't live for God because we want to be successful, because we want to be blessed, because we want good things to happen to us. We live for God because we want to fulfill God's purpose in our life, whatever that is. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, 
whether the road is rough, whether the road is windy, whether there is a mountain, or whether there is a valley. God's purpose is the number one priority in our life, and that only happens when we decrease and He increases in our life. Amen? Amen. See, having a focus on Jesus Christ and a loving obedience to Him should come naturally for those of us who have received God's love in Christ, but that doesn't mean that it comes effortlessly. Amen? It's easy to get caught up with this life. It's easy to get caught up with all the obligations and the things that happen in this life and the demands. And it's so easy sometimes, it seems, for a focus to switch onto ourselves rather than Christ. If I could just get a better job, if I could just get a better house, then I could serve God with everything. No, no, no. If you've got to have all those kind of things before you serve God, you've got the wrong motivations. Hello? Amen. We get, we get caught up, and even beyond that, we get caught up in things that appear to be good. Amen. We things, things that appear to be good even for other people. Amen. And we become other-focused instead of Christ-focused. See, this is the other challenge we've got to watch out for. We can't just be so busy serving others, we realize, hey, we're just serving others now. We're not serving God. Everything we do has to serve God. Amen? Amen. You know, and, and, and above all of that, the devil will try and strengthen those claims on our life. Our culture will try and strengthen those claims on our life. Amen? And they will continue to call out and continue to draw us. Amen? Amen. We are to counter this pressure. And Jesus gave us the key. Amen. We are to counter it by focusing on Jesus and praying as Jesus taught us to pray. What did he pray? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we need to pray, just put it this way. In that same passage, right? Jesus also said, pray, you know, pray for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. If we need to pray... For God to provide our needs, for God to protect our family, because that's what it says in that passage that Jesus has taught us. How much more important, how much just as important is it then to pray that His kingdom come, that His will be done, amen? They are both part of God's will. God wants to meet your needs. God wants to provide for you, but God wants His kingdom to come. God wants His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, amen? And, and every day we are tempted to focus on ourselves, to satisfy our desires, to satisfy our own lusts, amen? That's what James tells us. The problem is, is when we do that, what are we doing? We just simply begin to worship ourselves. And we begin to elevate ourselves. And we'll put ourselves on the throne of our life. Amen? And Jesus is dethroned. And He decreases when really He needs to increase. Amen? You know, God probably doesn't care too much about what color you paint the walls of your house or what breed of dog you have or, you know, whether you choose Thousand Island dressing or Caesar salad dressing for your salad. Those things probably aren't so important to God. But there are many aspects of our life that do raise the issue of who is the Lord of your life. The places that you go. The people that you spend time with. The people who have influence over your life. You know, it goes even deeper than that. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. The things that you think, that's important to God. 
Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be vigilant for your adversary. You know, what about your thought life? Is Jesus the Lord of your thought life? When nobody else knows what you're thinking, your thoughts are an open book to God. Where your mind wanders, does it bring glory to God? This is really sobering stuff, isn't it? Because we don't often stop to think about. We think making God Lord of our life is, okay, I need to go to church and I need to read my Bible and I need to pray. And that is true, right? But God does not deal just with the outside. He deals with the inside. Holiness begins on the inside of our hearts, amen? Jesus told the Pharisees, clean the inside of the cup, amen? And so we can't just be focused on the outside, but our attitude actually matters to God. Our thought life actually matters to God. The things that happen in our homes, they actually matter to God. He cares about them because He wants to be the Lord of your life, all of your life, not just Sunday version of you, but every part of your life belongs to Jesus. So the things you think, the things you say, the things you do, the things you keep in your heart that nobody else knows, they are an open book to God. Is He Lord of your life? Amen? Amen. Hmm. So much. How do we respond when we're ill-treated? You know, when someone says something that hurts our feelings, how do we respond to that? Because how we respond determines how much God is Lord of our life. Amen? Think about it. How we treat our spouse, how we treat our family, how we do things together, the atmosphere, all this kind of stuff is so important. How we entertain ourselves, the careers that we choose to pursue. Amen? You know, early on in, in my life, I decided that I was not going to ever move anywhere unless there was a church I could attend because it was important to me. And I turned down career opportunities that I had. You know, I, I, looked, I looked into becoming a paramedic because I, I love people. Most of you know that. I love people. I looked at becoming a paramedic, but then I found out if you do it, they can send you anywhere. You don't have any choice because they're desperately needing paramedics everywhere. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to find something else to do with my life because I don't want to get sent anywhere where I can't attend to church faithfully and be a blessing to God. Right? It influenced my life. Who knows? I might not even be pastoring. I might be sitting next to you at a roadside somewhere. Amen? But it should influence our life. It should impact us. Amen? So the question you've got to ask yourself is, does your interactions with others, do they reflect that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Think about that. Just let that, let that stir around in your mind. Your interactions with others, do they show that Jesus is Lord of your I'm not talking about interactions with the pastor. I'm not talking about interactions with your family or with your brothers and sisters at church, but even just people you meet in the street. This is really deep stuff, isn't it? This is really sobering because it makes you look inwards and go, hang on, is Jesus the Lord of our life? You know, our very own sinful, selfful, self-centered nature, along with trends in society, incessantly lead us to focus on ourselves. Amen? This is why we have to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But you know, we won't have the desire to pray like that unless we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 tells us this, you have to have the mind of Christ. While we focus more on Him and less on us, His influence on the way we live our lives will increase, while ours will decrease. 
but it only happens to the extent that we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about it last week, Romans 12, chapter 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's what we spoke about last week. This week, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? There's got to be a renewal of your mind that happens almost every day. Sometimes by every hour, amen, when you're really under the pressure and temptation is rising, there's got to be this renewal almost every minute, every hour. I've got to live for God. You know, this is one, you know, most of you know I memorize quite a few scriptures, and that's why I do it. I don't always have my Bible on me. But when temptation begins to hit, you know what I start doing? I start quoting Scripture over and over and over and over and over and over and over in my mind. Why? I'm transforming my mind. I'm opening up the door to God's Spirit saying, God, come and transform my mind. God, the enemy is trying to take over. He's trying to get me to do things. There's temptation and I want to escape. Amen? And so we allow the Spirit to transform our mind, amen. We do give ourselves to prayer. We do give ourselves to reading God's Word, amen. We fast. We join in worship with other believers. All of these things are important because as we do that, we open up our minds to be transformed and we allow His Spirit to transform our minds. Jesus can begin to shape our thinking and to shape our thought life and to shape everything around. So not only do we pray that His will is done, but we begin to realize that not only is His will being done, His will is the best thing that could ever happen for our life. You see, that's what it means to have your mind transformed. Because when you begin to allow God to transform your mind, you have an option for your life and the option that God wants for your life. And you realize very quickly God's option is the best option. Amen? Amen. A transformed mind. You know, it is only living sacrifices who are spiritually minded that will be able to fulfill the rest of that scripture. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As living sacrifices, our highest duty, our greatest calling is to find God's will for our life and do it. There is nothing more important than finding what God's will is for our life. Amen? I talk to a lot of young people. A lot of young people say, Pastor, what does God want me to do with my life? Be transformed in your mind. God's will will come. You will find it. Amen? Amen. You know, as we get ready to wrap up this morning, I think I've gone a little shorter than I normally go. Everyone say, praise the Lord. (laughs) Andrew had wholeheartedly responded to John the Baptist's call to repent. And he had responded to John the Baptist's call to be ready for the Messiah. Andrew didn't just get baptized and go back to life as usual, catching fish with his brother Simon. He remained a fisherman, but he became a disciple of John the Baptist. He was a true disciple. He fully embraced his master's teaching, and John had frequently proclaimed that the Messiah, the Lamb of God, was to be preferred over him, and that all should follow him. Andrew got that message, and he was going to do exactly what John had taught. One day, that day came. Around about four o'clock in the afternoon, I could imagine John tugged on Andrew's shirt. said, John, Andrew, sorry, look, behold, the Lamb of God. 
When Andrew and another disciple with them heard Jesus' words, the Bible tells us they immediately followed after Jesus and stayed with him the rest of the day. What Jesus said is not recorded, but in that brief time, Andrew became a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Not only was he fully committed, he was determined to win more disciples. And the very first person he went out to go get was his big brother, Peter. He went to him and he said, we have found the Messiah. The one who would preach the day of Pentecost. The one who would write books in the New Testament. We don't have a single book of Andrew. There's no book of Andrew in the Bible. But Andrew was the one who was so committed to God's call. And so committed to being a disciple, exactly as God's will laid out. He was the one who went and got Peter. to come, Peter. We found a man who is the Messiah. Later on, during another regular day on the Sea of Galilee, as they were fishing with Peter, Jesus walked up as they were casting the nets out to the sea and said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets, the Bible says. There was no discussion. There was no conversation. There was no, hang on, let me just finish this. Let me do one more catch. The Bible says straightway they left their nets and followed him. As he had quickly become a committed disciple earlier, he now immediately forsook everything to follow Jesus wherever Jesus went and whatever the cost would be. For the rest of his life, Andrew decreased so that Jesus might increase You know, early church tradition tells us that Andrew served as a missionary to the Greek world. And like his brother Peter, he too paid for that price. Eventually he died as a martyr, and they say he was crucified on a cross as well. Andrew decreased as far as he possibly could. He had literally taken up his cross. And in his death, he experienced the paradox of losing one's life for Christ. He found it. Bible says, he who seeks to keep his life shall lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. Brothers and sisters, there is no other life out there that is better than what you can have living here for Jesus. But to have this life, you've got to give up that life. You can't have both. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot out in the world. You've got to make up your mind. I'm going to live for Jesus. He's going to be my number one. I'm going to lay down everything out there. I'm going to decrease so that Jesus can increase in my life. Amen. When we do that, as we decrease, that Jesus might increase. When Jesus comes again, he'll call us to be with him. We'll be with him forever. What an increase on this life. No more tears. No more pain. Worshipping the Lord forever. That is an increase, my friends, that's worth fighting for. Amen. But do you know when you get up there, you walk through those gates, the Bible says that city has got 12 foundations. And on one of those foundations, it says Andrew. You don't read a whole lot about Andrew, but he's got a foundation in that city, just like the other 12 disciples. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? Thank you, Jesus. We are called to be living sacrifices. Throughout this series, I've tried to teach you that what Jesus did for us 
is far greater than anything that anyone else out there would ever do for you. He is worthy to live our life, a living sacrifice for Him. No one else deserves your devotion like Jesus does. No one else deserves your love and your attention like Jesus does. He is the only thing in this world that's worth living for. Praise the Lord. Why don't we just bow our heads? Let's just pray, precious Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would increase in our life, that we would decrease, Lord God. Lord, we're not interested in promoting ourselves, Lord. We're not interested in talking about how wonderful we are, Lord God, or how amazing we are, Lord. What is important, Lord, is are you the Lord of all? Are you the Lord of all of our life? Are you the Lord of every part of our life, Lord God? Is every part of our life surrendered to you? Is every part of our life walking in accordance with your will and your calling for our life, Lord God? Father, I pray, Lord, by the light of your Spirit, Jesus, Lord, shine it into our hearts, Lord God. Illuminate our thought life, Lord. Illuminate our attitudes to ourselves, Lord God. Sometimes, Jesus, we have been living with them for so long, we don't recognize it, Jesus. But, Lord, these things will stop you increasing in our life, Lord God. Lord, search our hearts, Lord. Search our minds, Lord God. Cleanse us from every wicked way, Lord God. Help us to find a place of repentance, Lord, if we search our hearts with you, God, and we find areas, Lord, that we've kept from you, oh God. Help us to repent. Help us to surrender them to you, Lord God, for you are everything, Lord. Lord, you are everything. You are all that we need. Lord, we thank you. We love you for this day, Lord Jesus. We give you all the praise and the glory in the name of Jesus. And everyone says amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand.